Get ready for the smartest bundle in streaming. Six streaming services for the intellectually curious. Featuring Curiosity Stream with the best collection of documentary films and TV shows. Psalm TV and great stories from the world of wine. Taste Made for the fun side of food and travel. Topic with the best thrillers and crime stories. And so much more. From nature to history, technology to food, mystery to adventure. Get six streaming services for one low price. And less than $6 a month, it's the best deal in streaming. Learn more and sign up now at smartbundle.com. Good evening, everyone. Thanks for coming. My name is Father Michael. Good evening, Father. I will be overseeing this meeting. I see that we have some new faces tonight. Welcome. As well as some returning faces. Welcome as well. Alright, let's get started. What is said in this room stays in this room. There will be no judgment, only open ears and an open heart. Would any of you like to share? Ah, a newcomer. Please stand and come forward. I've seen enough of these on TV, so I kind of know how it works. Um, hi. My name is Thomas, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Thomas. It's been four days since my last drink. Uh, I don't really know what to say, so I guess I'll start from the beginning. I started drinking at the age of 11. My parents encouraged it. They said it would relieve all the stress in my life, like it did theirs. Now, I'm not sure just how much stress I had at 11 years old, but I thought it was fun at first. You know, I was playing grown-up. Now, my parents were never violent toward each other when they drank. They were never fall-down, sloppy drunks. Dad liked a beer or two after work, and Mom would enjoy a glass or four of wine with dinner and a couple throughout the day. I, on the other hand, took it to a whole new level. It started out small, wine coolers at first, but I could only have one, or the occasional sip of Dad's beer or Mom's wine. It went on that way until I hit high school. By that time, wine coolers were not enough. I talked to my dad into letting me have a whole beer. I loved it. Pabst Blue Ribbon was my dad's favorite, and it soon became mine. I began drinking every day. A beer before school, a few beers after school. I'd even sneak out of class, tell the teacher I had to use the bathroom or something, hit the boys' bathroom, pull out a beer from the side pocket of my jacket, which I wore all the time, even on hot days, and drink it warm in one of the stalls as the other kids smoked. I never got caught. My dad used to buy it for me, in case you were wondering how I got it. Now, due to my drinking, I fell in with the wrong crowd. Kids just like me that drank, partied, and did drugs. I was never a big drug guy. I think I smoked weed maybe five times in my life. All it did was make me hungry and more paranoid than I already am. Anyway, at the age of 16, I was hanging out with some friends driving around and drinking one night, while well, one of my friends decided, unbeknownst to me, that he was going to rob a liquor store. Not for money, but for more beer. He had a gun and everything. No one was hurt, thank God. Well, long story short, the owner called the cops and gave a description of the car. We were pulled over. My friend was arrested, and so was everyone else in the car. I found out the hard way that in this state, if you are with someone who commits a crime, even if you don't do anything, you get charged with the same crime. 
my father didn't even pick up when I got my one phone call, and neither one of my parents showed up in court. So that was the end of my relationship with my parents. I was on my own. The judge thankfully took pity on me and sentenced me to the juvenile detention center in the next town over until I turned 18. Still, I kept on drinking. One of the guys at the center taught me how to make what he called jail juice, and that is how I went from beer to alcohol. When I got out of juvie, my counselor got me a job as a busboy at Chelsea's restaurant down the street and got me a room at the local flop house for 30 bucks a week. Chelsea's didn't last too long, as the owners caught me drinking on the clock. I then worked a slew of low-level, low-paying jobs, making just barely enough for food, which was mostly ramen noodles and hot dogs, rent, and alcohol. I'm not gonna lie, most of it went to alcohol. All of them lasted about two weeks or so, as I kept calling out due to hangovers from the night before. I had a ton of failed relationships as well. They always left me because of my drinking. That's always the excuse. Get fired from work because of my drinking. My girlfriends leave me because of my drinking. Get a DUI because I was drinking. I've got two of those, by the way. I didn't understand what the problem was. I was a fun guy. All I wanted to do was have fun and drink. What's the problem? Life is too short to be serious all the time. Loosen up a bit, right? Wrong. I realize that now. You see, four days ago, I was sitting in my room at the flop house. I just got fired from my latest crap job because of what? That's right, my drinking. Anyway, there I was, with no food in the fridge, my car was on empty, and my week's rent for the room was due the next day. I had 50 bucks in my pocket. I think I still have it. Yeah, here it is, see? Now I started thinking. I could pay the rent, put 10 in the gas tank, and get 10 bucks worth of food. You can buy a lot of ramen noodles for 10 bucks. But if I did all that, I wouldn't have any money left for alcohol and I really needed a drink after the day I had. Screw it, I'll deal with it tomorrow. I'm getting trashed tonight, I told myself. I got up, walked out of my room, down the stairs and out the front door. It's barely eight o'clock. The liquor store closes at 10. It's only a couple miles away. I can walk there in about an hour, get what I need and get back before curfew. I thought to myself. The owners of the flop house locked the doors at 10 o'clock, unless you made a special arrangement with them for which they would give you a key. I had no such arrangement. Anyway, I began walking. I passed a few houses on my street, made a left, passed Millie's bookstore, the funeral home, and that creepy-ass grocery store, got to the corner and made a right. My eyes then fell upon the most glorious sight that I have ever seen at that moment. It was an overhead sign over the entrance of what was an abandoned storefront. Destiny's Choice, have a drink in style, the sign read. What a dumb name for a bar, I thought to myself. Some girl named Destiny chose to buy a bar. Stupid, but who cares? I need a drink. I then opened the door and walked in. The place was immaculately clean and looked like something out of a luxury magazine. The floors, the walls, as well as the ceiling were all dark mahogany. The tables and chairs were mahogany as well, with bright white tablecloths and a candelabra on each one, with all the candles lit. There was nothing else. Nothing but about 50 tables. No bar, no jukebox, no dance floor. Nothing. Ah, 
Good evening, Mr. Jenkins. Table for one? I heard a deep, raspy voice say. I turned to my left to see a tall, lanky older man wearing a maitre d's outfit standing behind a podium. He reminded me of the butler from the rat video for Round and Round. How do you know my name? I asked. He didn't answer me. Your table is ready, sir. Right this way. He said and began walking between the tables. I followed, a little confused. We must have walked for about a good three minutes, finally reaching a table that looked to be directly in the middle of the place. He pulled out a chair for me. I sat down and began looking around. Wait a minute. The dimensions of this place are wrong. There's no way this big-ass place fits in that little storefront building, I thought. And here are your drinks, sir, he said, setting a small silver rectangular tray on the table. On the tray were three full shot glasses. I didn't order these, I said. Of course not, sir. They are, how you say, on the house? Free shots. I love this place, I said excitedly. Enjoy, sir, he said, and walked past me, back toward the podium. For some reason, I turned around and he was gone. There was no way he made it back to the podium that fast. What the hell is going on here, I thought. I turned back around, even more confused. I soon forgot about my confusion as there were three free shots of alcohol sitting before me. I picked up the one on the right, raised it in the air, brought it back down and took the shot. It tasted so good. I swallowed it right away. It was just what I needed. My body then began to twitch uncontrollably as soon as I began to cough. I closed my eyes when I coughed feeling an extremely cold gust of wind hit my body. I opened my eyes, and I was standing in front of a lit burn barrel in a dimly lit alley somewhere in the dead of night with three other guys and a girl standing around it as well, warming their hands as the wind grew colder. I took a look at all of them. They were dressed like homeless people. Their faces and hands were dirty, and they all had this crazy look in their eyes. They were quite scary. I stepped back looking down at my clothes, expecting to see the jeans and t-shirt I was wearing, but I didn't. I was wearing a torn gray shirt with a dingy flannel jacket, black work pants with little cuts all over them, olive green fingerless gloves on my hands and no shoes, only dirty white socks with a hole in the right one exposing my big toe. I then raised my hands to my head. I was wearing an old wool hat that had holes in it as well. I screamed, quiet or he'll hear you the girl by the barrel said. What? Who? I asked. Suddenly, I heard various people screaming. I looked down the alley into complete darkness. Multiple homeless people then came running out of the dark as the ones by the burn barrel took off as well. And I just stood there. The next thing I knew, this large behemoth of a... Well, I, I'm not sure it was a man or even human for that matter. This thing stood before me dressed in an all-black cape with a hood. The hood covered most of its face, only leaving its mouth exposed. It was a human mouth, but it stretched further than normal. Its chin was long, like Jim Carrey's when he's turned into the mask, just to give you a visual. It smelled like decaying flesh. It leaned its head in closer to me and said, You must pay the price. Its breath was hot and wretched. Now, I've never backed down from a fight my whole entire life, and I wasn't about to start then, creepy demonic creature from hell or not. Screw you, 
I screamed in its face. It then grabbed me with hands and fingers that closely resembled a skeleton's by the collar of my jacket and raised me about two feet off the ground. Pay me now, it yelled, gray smoke flowing from its mouth as it did. It then flung me through the air to the right. I landed hard in the middle of the road. I looked up to see the man standing on the edge of the sidewalk, smiling, its teeth broken and decayed. Your death, I whispered to myself. I then heard the sound of an air horn and turned my head to the right and saw the two bright headlights of a Greyhound bus heading straight for me. I screamed and closed my eyes as the bus was about to hit me. When I opened them again, I was sitting in my chair at the table back at the bar. The room was so much smaller now. It was a square, only big enough for the table I was sitting at. The maitre d' was standing across from me. I leapt up, pushed the chair back, causing it to slam into the wall. What the hell was that? I said completely furious. What the hell is this place? Let me the hell out of here. I then began looking around for the door, and there was no door. I'm sorry, sir. That is not an option. We have a mandatory two-drink rule here, sir, the maitre d' said. Your second drink, sir. He then moved his arm in a presenting fashion toward the tray on the table. I looked at the tray, and there were two more shots. Okay, if I'm going to get out of this, I'm going to have to drink one more, I thought. That was the first time since I was 11 that I didn't want to drink, but I knew I had to. I grabbed the chair, pulled it back to the table, and sat down. I just stared at the maitre d'. Sir, he said, looking at the tray. I slowly raised my right hand and grabbed a hold of the middle shot glass. I didn't raise it in the air this time. I just quickly took the shot. I immediately knew something was wrong. I tasted no alcohol. I lowered the shot glass. It was empty. I know there was alcohol in it when I was sitting on the table, I thought. I blinked my eyes. When I opened them again, I was standing in the middle of a huge field covered in snow, the morning sun barely off the horizon, giving the sky an orangey glow. It was truly breathtaking. I then looked at what I was wearing, a nice pair of jeans, a red and black flannel shirt with a white t-shirt underneath, and a tan Carhartt jacket covering it all, a pair of Carhartt winter insulated gloves on my hands, and a Carhartt wool cap on my head. I then heard a soft woman's voice coming from behind me. Thomas, Thomas, what are you doing out here, hon? Come on inside before you catch a cold. The kids are awake. It's time to open presents, she said. Kids? Presents? I thought. I turned around to see a beautiful ranch-styled house. It was forest green and trimmed in white. There was an incredibly gorgeous blonde-haired woman that a man like me could only dream of, standing at the door. Thomas, what are you doing? Come on inside, she said and motioned for me to come in. I turned around to see if she was talking to someone behind me. There was no one there. I turned back around. She laughed. You're so funny, she said. Come on. I then began walking up to the house. I walked up onto the porch. She blocked the doorway, stood on her tiptoes, and kissed me on the lips. Merry Christmas, she said, returning to her normal height. She grabbed my hand. Merry Christmas to you too, beautiful, I replied as I took hold of her hand. We then walked into the house. I was so happy. 
I walked in the house to see a huge, beautifully decorated Christmas tree in the corner of the living room. Wreaths on the walls and stockings hanging from a lit fireplace as the sounds of classical Christmas songs filled the air. I just stood there, smiling ear to ear. Merry Christmas, Daddy, I heard little kid voices say. I turned in the direction of the sound to see a little brown-haired boy, around five years old, and a little blonde-haired girl, about three, sitting on the couch smiling. I bent down and hugged them both. Merry Christmas, kids, I said. Who wants to open some presents? The blonde woman said as the kids began to scream. Tom, will you do the honors? She asked. Sure, I replied as I knelt by the tree. I then grabbed the first two presents. To Amy from Santa, I said as the little girl reached out. To Jamie from Santa, I said as the little boy reached out. I gave the kids their presents. I grabbed the next present. To Michelle from Thomas, I said as the blonde woman reached out. They all began opening their presents. I just sat there smiling. I watched as Amy's and Jamie's eyes opened wide, and a big smile formed across their faces as they discovered the new doll and the new truck under the wrapping paper. I looked to my right to see Michelle open the small rectangular box. A tear filled her eye as she lifted the necklace out of the case and put it around her neck. I have a beautiful wife, two amazing children, and a beautiful house. It's just what I always wanted, I thought. I then heard the sound of wrapping paper being crumbled into a ball. Daddy, catch, I heard the little girl say. I turned my head as a wad of balled up wrapping paper came flying at me. I tried to catch it, but I wasn't fast enough. I closed my eyes just as the ball was about to hit my face. I didn't feel it hit me. When I opened my eyes, I was back at the table once again. This time I was not in a square room. No, I was sitting at an old white plastic patio table in a white plastic patio chair in which looked to be a dimly lit old abandoned empty warehouse. The maitre d' stood before me once again. Realizing where I was, I quickly leapt to my feet once again. I turned and watched as the chair went zooming back at an incredible speed into the darkness. I was waiting to hear it hit the wall or something, but no sound came. I turned back and screamed, No, I, I want to go back. Send me back. I want to go back. I'm sorry, sir, the maitre d' said. That is not up to me. That is up to you. It is time to make your choice, to choose your destiny. Now... The name of the bar made sense. He once again moved his arm in a presenting fashion toward the table. The silver tray with one remaining full shot glass sat upon it. Your choice, sir, he said. I stared at the full shot. I really wanted it. My mind then raced back to the first shot I took. I thought about being homeless and that death had found me. I then thought about the empty shot I took, the beautiful woman the smile on the kids' faces, the feeling of utter happiness that I felt. I looked down at the shot. No, I don't want it. I don't want it, I screamed, slapping it off the tray and sending it flying into the darkness. I fell to my knees, covering my face with my hands, and began crying uncontrollably, mumbling to myself as I cried. I don't want it. I don't want it. After a while, I stopped crying, wiped my eyes, and got up on my feet. 
I was completely shocked at what I saw. I was now standing on the sidewalk outside of the empty storefront. That was just Destiny's choice. I reached in my pocket and pulled out my cell phone to check the time. It was 8.17pm, about the same time it was when I entered the bar. But it was no longer Thursday night. No, it was Sunday night, four days later. What the hell? I said to myself. Where did it go? Where did it go? I screamed. I began pounding on the wooden planks that was shortly ago a beautiful picture window. I then heard the sound of a police siren off in the distance. I gotta get out of here, I thought. I turned to my left and began walking, having no idea where I was going. I made a series of left and right turns, finally ending up in front of the liquor store. I stood there, staring at the sign. The clerk must have seen me standing there as he came to the door and opened it. Can I help you with something, man? He said. I looked at him, smiled, and said, Nope, no you cannot. Never again. I then turned, walked down the street, and made a right. And that is when I saw this church. I walked up and read the sign out front. Alcoholic Anonymous Meeting, 8.30 to 9.30 tonight. If you need help, we're here to help you. And I need help. Well, that's all I've got to say. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Thomas. We have a few minutes left. Would anyone else like to share? Ah, yes, another newcomer. Please come forward. Um, hello, everyone. My name is Michelle, and I'm an alcoholic. New on Curiosity Stream. Get ready for the best of the best with our 100 Days of Curiosity, featuring fan favorite titles like Light on Earth with Sir David Attenborough. Join me on a journey like no other. Stephen Hawking's favorite places. It's a crazy world out there. The history of home with Nick Offerman. Not my home, just homes. Other people's homes. And many more. Don't miss 100 Days of Curiosity, happening right now on Curiosity Stream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com.